Welcome back, friends. This is the show. This is the Disco Posse podcast, and you are listening to what is about to be a really fantastic conversation with Patrick Baines. He's the founder of Nerdwise, a serial co-founder and somebody with a really cool background. I say serial that he's actually had successful uh, launches in the past of startups, a great, great history, and just somebody who I really enjoyed chatting with. Nerdwise really solves a neat problem about solving lead generation, creating SQLs, MQLs, really driving value and getting better information and insight to make the journey towards pipeline friendlier and more effective. But if you're not going to learn about that, then you can learn tons of startup lessons and how to build culture and product management. And this literally is just a sea of startup lessons. I could turn this one into a book. So big thanks to Patrick for being such a fantastic guest and conversationalist. I do have to, of course, speaking of success, thank you all and the amazing sponsors that make this podcast successful and allow me to keep doing it and bringing it to the world. So I got to make sure that if you've got data out there, it is at risk unless, of course, you're using the fine folks over at Veeam Software. And if you want to find out more, it's super easy. Just go to vee.am forward slash disco posse and you can find out everything you need for your data protection needs, whether it's on-premises, whether it's in the cloud. They really have so, so, so many cool things. I absolutely think you should check it out. And because for the first time in like a zillion years, I'm actually going to read the official uh, line because I, I think they do have much more than just pure data protection. It's being backup and replication. We've got new V11A, which is out. And this is everything when it comes from AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, storage repository, integration with Kubernetes, and ultimately greater RTO for Nutanix. That's right. If you run Nutanix, then you need to get saved. So go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. Oh, speaking of getting saved, save yourself getting your identity stolen online by being better about using things like a VPN. I'm a user of ExpressVPN, and I think it's fantastic. So much so that I'm able to say that I think you should try it too. And if you want to try it, it's easy. Go to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash Disco Posse. And uh, hey, I also like coffee, uh, so go diabolicalcoffee.com. That's it. Here's Patrick Baines. Welcome, everybody. This is Patrick Baines, and you are listening to the Disco Posse podcast. Welcome to the show. My start to the year is going so well because it's really, really content specific to stuff that I'm I'm digging deep into. You are doing some really, really fantastic stuff with the team at Nerdwise, and we're going to dive into that. But just this is with your history that led you up to Nerdwise with the problems I see constantly in the industry, especially in the startup ecosystem where we're we're just pouring over tool chain issues. We've got all these interconnected or semi-connected things and uh, everybody thinks they've got the ideal solution and they got 27 single panes of glass and it, none of it seems to fit. So 
I'm excited. We're going to unpack. We're going to break down some myths about the, the early stages of setting up effective marketing tool chains and, and much more. But uh, if you don't mind, for folks that are new to you, if you want to give a quick bio of yourself and, and introduce the NerdWise story. Sure. Um, well, thank you, Eric, for having me again. And for those of you listening, thank you for listening. Um, I am Patrick Bain. So uh, I'm an entrepreneur, um, both kind of a, a have an agency background and the fact that I've provided a lot of professional services in my career and then also a technology entrepreneur. I've built multiple software products. Um, I was an early employee at LinkedIn in 2007 and then uh, built the first uh, enterprise uh, kind of employee optimization uh, and management tool for LinkedIn. That was a company called People Links, and we were early, although at the time it didn't feel early, but we started that company in 2009. Um, and uh, People Links was really my first run at entrepreneurship. Um, had a good uh, about six years there before we sold the company, raised uh, close to 10 million in venture capital. And um, yeah, that we started as a training organization, teaching people how to use LinkedIn, quickly learned what type of product we wanted to build for uh, the market. And services are a great way to get to know customers and know their pain points and what opportunities there may be. Um, so then we built the PeopleLinks platform. That is a whole story in its own. And then, um, you know, the, the, the market had changed more than I realized after PeopleLinks in the sense that, you know, people talk a lot about the barriers to starting a company being less and less. And of course, now you can have a TikTok account and be a, an entrepreneur and it's like That's crazy. Right. <laughs> but um, when I started this business, I realized, you know, I, I could do something now with my skill set. I could build a company without having to raise money. At least I, I felt confident that I could. And over years, I, I proved that to be correct. And then, um, you know, this business has started with that was kind of the primary mission was, hey, let me get out of the I don't even know if you call them golden handcuffs when it's venture capital, more just like a real handcuff. <laughs> you know, your, your, your business, when you raise money, your business really becomes not just a business anymore. It becomes an investment vehicle. Like you have shareholders and, and people that you are uh, responsible to and, and uh, you have to report to. And, you know, it's a good thing for many people if you want to be, if, if you're really building out uh, a company for that exit. But I didn't, I didn't know what I was necessarily doing when I started NerdWise other than I wanted to take a solution to market um, without needing outside funding. We have been profitable now for seven years. We built a lead, we, we work with sales teams. So we do uh, the broader category is sales enablement, but it's really lead generation and lead scoring uh, for sales teams based on all their different uh, data that, that they have, their sales outreach, their website traffic, uh, what may exist inside of a CRM. We can help kind of activate that data, uh, generate leads from it and score it. So both sales qualified and marketing qualified leads. And as this world has changed in the last seven years, you know, one of the one of the things in, in addition to just access to starting a company, whether that be like launching a quality website or finding talent, freelancers and all these other things that are so much easier to do now than ever, uh, ever before. There are uh, there's a whole marketplace now of of uh, practitioners, whether they be software developers, graphic designers, you know, web, web developers, website developers. 
and 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 they're affordable. They're all over the the, the world. And and ten years ago, if you were to outsource development to India, for example, it was a much more risky proposition. Now, if you find a decent group in India, they've got 10, 20 years of cycles under them where they've been doing this stuff for a long time. And so in any case, it, it's it's been exciting to be on the front of that. Um, and it's put us in a better position as a company um, to be able to, to build a company, you know, build a business without needing outside funding. So that's sort of the story of NerdWise. We may go out and raise money at some point now, but um, it's been seven years uh, working with a whole breadth of different industries and company sizes. But that's a little bit about who I am and well, that's fantastic. And also, I mean, it's it's always that when I'll say congratulations on on just growth and success already, not that taking on additional funding to do you know bigger growth isn't is neither a good nor a bad thing, depending on on what your goal is of doing that. But I like how you highlighted early that go getting money from a bank is they're gonna charge you a non interest fee for giving you the money getting money from venture capital they specifically are expecting an outsized return on their investments and they have a guiding hand in delivering that outsized return there's a very different requirement uh, uh, and responsibility in taking venture money so whenever somebody gets a new funding round and everybody's like yeah congratulations inside my mind I'm like Hopefully, congratulations. Okay, there's there's some weight that comes with it, and and again, there's great reasons why they why companies need that and people need that, but it's it's not free money for sure. It and that's even that's changed in the last ten years. Now there's startups to fund startups, and, and you know it, it's it's even Stripe. So we use Stripe as a payment processor. Stripe is offering Stripe capital to its users based on their revenues, and um, you know they're my they're my biggest investor <laughs> right now. Unbelievable, so it's, right? yeah, it's unbelievable what what has changed. Well, and you look at like in the last year, what's gone on with uh, with micro acquire and uh, as stuff. I've been kind of deeply watching where that was this idea of like people just posting SaaS and it's a beautiful sort of two sided marketplace, and I'm like. It was. It started off as just people buying websites, and then all of a sudden, they're doing an incredible amount of business by being this beautiful two-sided broker to it. It's a. It's a vastly different world, and this is moderate-level investments to do it. You don't have to go in and be an accredited investor, which is there's a lot of work to do that. It's you can't just walk in, even if you suddenly win five hundred thousand dollars. You can't just go and become a venture capital investor. There's legal requirements to be accredited, and there's this history. It's a, it's a weird sort of whole scene. But uh, anyways, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage it because it's a fantastic thing. But it's a, uh, it's an odd world, and and I well, like you said, it's changing fast. And I'll tell you, the, one of the most interesting things I've seen, and this has always been there, but it's the it, it is it is shifted completely, which is. If you talk to PE firms and and VCs and you know except for the maybe some of the unicorn VCs and some of the bigger ones, although I think it's still true for them, um, they're they're hunting harder and harder for these opportunities than ever before. Now you know it's it used to be that you had to find them, you had to get in, you had to get the opportunity. It still is not. There's like a, by no means is it easy to go raise money, but they have 
they're hiring multiple, multiple associates to go out and, and find these investments and compete for these investments. And the, the, the folks I talk to there and we do we actually do lead gen for uh, three PE firms right now, helping them get in front of established companies that, you know, are, are privately held. Uh, and and um, they are uh, they want to be first in line. And that and and they're they're they they've always looked, but it used to be that you know, like again, I think the whole marketplace, the boom, all the money that's that's poured into startups. But now they're, it's almost like they've got business development operations that are 10x what they were to go out and find these investments and to be the first in line. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I I used to work in, in a financial services firm in IT, so I became really highly attuned to the investment world. And then to come into the tech side and then get involved in startups and now to really like literally see it from inside the machine. And now like PE has changed so much. Like we've got private equity. One of the funniest transactions I saw you know, last year was for folks that have kids, you probably know this name is Blippy. So Blippy is a as a YouTube uh, you know, phenomenon. He's somebody that created this personality for for kids' videos. And there's another one called Coco Mel, and they just do like funny cartoons for kids. Well, they were picked up by a PE firm that's backed by by Blackstone. And it's like, they're literally buying up YouTube channels now. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, you know, I didn't have that on my bingo card for 2021, for sure. Let's don't get started on NFTs. <laughs> oh, I, uh, oh, yeah, that's, I'm still trying to figure out how to even approach what it is, let alone what's coming out of it. So that is a wild world. Oh my God. But let's, uh, I, I think what's really interesting and I like your, your personal story that being early with LinkedIn, then the opportunity as you went to found your own firm coming out of it, that, that story of being inside somebody that solves a very specific problem or set of problems, like obviously LinkedIn really, really grew in what they were were attacking. And it's like a, it's a standard name in the market. No one even questions right now. Like there's no LinkedIn killer because they they came and went, right? Plaxo, et cetera, et cetera. There was all sorts of folks that wanted to do it. But then you had this, this beautiful opportunity. Now it's a beautiful marketplace, but then it itself, is now the machine that needs to be fed with other ecosystems and partners. And so then coming out, you've got this inside view of like, there's still a problem to be solved. And now to have the confidence to go out and, and solve that, what was that? What was the, the thought process? As you said, I, I think I've got something I can build. Well, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, and, and so some of some of it around what we built and the fact that we were early and and how we got there. I mean, it happened very organically, kind of day day over day. But the the the, the real the real story, the real push was uh, a desire to grow at a rate that LinkedIn wasn't offering me. Ironically, because LinkedIn was like this, obviously, you know, it was a rocket ship. You know, you deca. Not, I don't know, it was a decacorn, but I mean, it was. Uh, uh, a unicorn 30 times over. And um, uh, I w it was my first job out of college. And so when I started applying for other jobs inside the organization, I was competing against people from Google and Deloitte going for like these entry level marketing manager positions and, and wow. account manager positions and things where 
you know, it wasn't anything that I, and I, I interviewed really well. They took me through multiple interviews. And I mean, I was interviewing with people who were like, uh, one guy was the former head of marketing at Yahoo who took over marketing at LinkedIn. And then the other guy was on uh, the apprentice like show and then came to work at LinkedIn. And I, there's just these people that had profiles that were, you know, beyond, and this was before social media. So these were, these were just credentials. And, and uh, at the time it was in any case, so I couldn't compete and I, and I didn't want to go kind of like horizontally and I, and I got bored sitting in my cube and felt like I want to do more with myself. I'm 23, 24. Um, and I just knew I wanted to grow at a faster pace. So I, uh, I called my uncle who's an entrepreneur and he, I told him, you know, I think I want to leave and start my own company. And he said, well, hold on to the job for as long as you can. Cause that's your cash flow while you figure out what you want to do. And, I tried that for about another month and then I was like, I just can't do it. I mean, I was, I was breaking hacky sack records out outside of the office uh, <laughs> three times a day with a buddy of mine. And it's like just fun, but not fulfilling. And, and so I left and then I was very fortunate, you know, not a lot of people were leaving LinkedIn at that time, but another, uh, an, another person had just left and we got connected and he reached out to me within a week or two and said, Hey, I'm starting this other business. And, um, you know, we kind of interviewed, he hired me as a, a contractor to do a little bit of work. We were basically selling training on LinkedIn and companies. He had been selling LinkedIn's corporate solutions. He saw in the marketplace, people just had questions that weren't right. part of their like solution stack. And, you know, for me, it was a low risk opportunity. I'm 24. I don't have a wife, kids, a house, a mortgage, all those things. And someone who's, you know, in their late 30s, wife, kids, house is like, hey, I'm starting a company, offered me a decent, you know, paycheck. And I said, sure, there's no risk here. It's what it aligns with what I want to do. And then two or three months later, he made me a co-founder offer. I got a piece of the business. I described it as being a shotgun seat entrepreneur where I just got to kind of come along for the ride and learn a, a tremendous amount. Um, and it paid off. I mean, two or three years later, we were, you know, doing seven figures and uh, really built a strong brand and, um, you know, attracted attracted the right people to come work with us. Uh, and that's where I built my, my version 1.0 of my entrepreneur uh, toolkit skill set. Uh, and then I left there for a similar reason. Um, you know, I was ready. The, the, the company was at that time starting to be you know, run by really senior people uh, from the outside. And um, I was ready to, to, to do my own thing again. So went from shotgun seat to driver's seat and uh, started NerdWise. Well, and this is the, so when you think of describing NerdWise, this is always the, the fun part of either like there's product-led startups and there's services, consulting-led startups. They're never that far apart because they're generally paired up. Like there's, I, I, when someone says they have a consulting startup, I say you have a consulting team. It's not a startup. It's like you, you may be building products. You know, a good example I found is a company called Heptio. You know, and I, I refer to them all the time as a product startup. And everybody's like, no, no, they're consulting. They do consulting for people building Kubernetes. Like, but they're using their own products they're building to create a machine framework for people that'll be the value they sell and they did sell and they got bought by vmware and and it was a big deal and even when the acquisition happened i said watch out this is going to be a competitive product play into this ecosystem and everybody's like they're a consulting team i'm like no one pays this much money for a consulting team there were products but they were consulting led. 
Yeah. So, and then other ones are, you know, look at the, the Moz story, of course, it's like same thing, consulting, build products, all of a sudden the products are a SaaS, switch up, now you're a product-led company. <laughs> yeah, no, you can, you can come at it from a lot of different angles. And when you know the problem that you're solving or your customer, and, you know, they say do things that don't scale. And sometimes that's what you do to get to know the customer, get to know those opportunities. And then you realize, oh, hey. We could build an app for that or hey we're putting a lot of time into this one process that applies to everybody and if we just you know put together a, a little bit of a user experience and connect some data and add a few buttons we, we can now provide a, a little bit better of a workflow and some reporting and some analytics versus you know uh it's also always good to go you know look where this look at the spreadsheets right like what what are you doing on a spreadsheet right now that shouldn't be or doesn't need to be in a spreadsheet and there's a million examples of startups that were literally just spreadsheets and then turned into yeah. Yeah, these great products well i tell you in enterprise today I, I i tweeted the other day i said it's like the the scooby-doo like removing the mask meme and it said what's running finance today and it's like complex ai and machine learning solutions and you pull it off it just says microsoft excel like that's yeah. it's amazing when i worked in you know in a finance organization i would have these incredible people that they were they were quants before they were called quants but they were doing stuff and like in it ops we would get calls like hey i need to restore this three and a half gigabyte excel document You're like well first of all that's terrifying because it goes beyond what microsoft even built the bloody thing for and then you think of what are you doing with this thing and they're like this is our modeling Stuff, but there was no SaaS alternative at the time. And it's amazing that that stuff still today powers a ton of people's back ends. You, you tableau, you do all these things, no matter how you slice it, someone's going to just dump that down to Excel, then copy and paste it into PowerPoint to give a team presentation. And you're like, oh no, it's 2022. Why are we doing this? The future is now. <laughs> yeah. When when you think of the the problem so what's what was the reason that nerdwise you knew right away that this is a thing we can build because this is a question i get asked all the time yeah um well gosh you know i even before that i feel like you you have to just sort of be committed to what you're doing and then know that you're going to screw it up and you just got to change it quickly right like in whatever sense that may be whether it be that you chose the wrong target customer or the wrong value proposition or you're building a product and you say hey i think we're going to build we just want to have some SaaS element of our company like just it sometimes you just have to start to then like run into the first brick wall or the first you know road bump and go oh wait it's not that it's this it's this um right for for, for us there was a lot of that and and that's and that's me being candid in the sense that I didn't have some aha moment other than I thought I had a bunch of them. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, you know, you, you, you through trial and error, you find the one that sticks. And for us, it was, um, we were doing lead gen services uh, for our clients for a broad range of, of different customers. And there was one theme across all of them, which was in addition to generating the coveted sales qualified lead in the meeting, the appointment, whatever it was that they wanted, there was also this base of marketing qualified leads that were the folks who 
they were showing interest, but not making, not converting. They weren't taking the next step. And it was, we were, we were pushing our clients. We're saying, Hey, but there's all these warmed up prospects. There's all these people that have been on your website. We can track them. We see all this data, you know, it's a million ways to pull this data uh, and, and show it. And we were putting it in a Google sheet and we're sorting it basically giving, we're scoring it. We pay someone to run all these crazy algorithms. So it scores, it updates, it does all these things. And then we're trying to like, you know, push them to do something with it. And, and, and we're trying, we're creating little tactics to, to get value out of, to kind of like squeeze some juice from the, the lemon or whatever. And um, that was the moment we said, Hey, wait, this isn't, this isn't the problem here is that nobody wants to work from the spreadsheet. This is not, this doesn't say I'm a lead that says like I'm data. And, and, uh, and, yeah. and so people weren't logging into it. They weren't using it. And, and so we, we, after some trial and error realized, and by the way, setting up those spreadsheets was a pain in the ass. Like was, <laughs> you, know, you had, we, we weren't even, I mean, I think we weren't smart enough to do it. I have the instructions still on our blog to teach other people how to do it. But it was like 30 steps and something breaks and there's, you know, algorithms and things in there. And we we're paying a, a, an outside contractor to help us put them together. So we said, okay, look, let's build it around this first. Let's build it around this lead scoring and some workflows and user experience. And it has been, it's night and day. I mean, you can see the same data on a spreadsheet as on the application. And it's like, you want to do something with this right it's yeah. it, there's it, it's it's so that was that was the theme is we just saw this kind of opportunity across all of our clients and we're trying we're using all of our creativity and brute force to try to get something to to happen with it and then it was like we're 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 fighting this with the wrong tool like we need to we need to go from square one and build something that has a better workflow um and uh, that was you know that that was the beginning of we went from not just lead gen to, and 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 services to a lead scoring application and then we're continuing to build more around that to help reactivate those leads and identify them and you know have kind of a big brain uh uh that can take all your data and and you know so we're we're, we're now we're iterating on it but it took a while to, to figure that out wait and i i like this you've you've really moved into the very specific thing that's the audience problem is always like we pull all this data. There's a lot of companies out there that are into slicing and dicing data, and then they move it up to Tableau, or they put it into Snowflake, they throw ThoughtSpot in front of it, they do all this stuff. But then you've got, you basically have marketing ops and sales ops people that are doing, like you said, what, what you were doing with Excel, but that didn't, every time you, you want to say like, hey, what active opportunities or or prospects you know do i have where's what mqls do i have right now okay let me i'll go get charles to run a report for right. us yeah and it's like it should be log in look at like there should be a place that's live updating at least as close you can to it yep and and also if you think about the conversion rates on either the the effort itself to generate a lead or uh on the amount of leads that you convert to sales it's small and on both sides, right? So you might get a, I don't know, let's just say if it's sales outreach or something, you know, one to 3% uh, up, upfront positive, you know, meeting flow. And then on your, on converting leads, people say numbers like 15 to 20, and those are high. If you're converting 15 to 20% of your leads, it's high. That means 80 to 75 or yeah, 80, 85 to 90% or 80, whatever, 80, 85% of your leads aren't converting, but where, but where are the ones that were actually, that wanted to convert or that were ready to have a conversation. And then on the flip side, the, you know, 
one to two or three percent conversions on a campaign, it's just not it's it's still kind of a revolving door, you know. So how do you get the most out of all of your bat? You're investing in Zoom info, you're investing in outreach, you're investing in all these people that are doing all this work. You got the CRM, they're tracking it, they're doing all this stuff, and you're getting these 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 numbers that are great if you're if they're working, if it's driving up, but then you just have to go on to the next push, the next push, the more, more people, more people. So how do you just get more out of all of this investment time and, and technologies and everything? And so that's kind of where we're, where we're playing. It is funny when it, like, I'd love to actually find a like anecdotal ways or analogous ways to show this. It's, it's really like, imagine that there's a Starbucks, you know, or like coffee shop, you know, that's next to a Starbucks. So they've got similar keywords. They've got similar attractiveness. Audiences is adjacent and you've got a hundred people that walk by the front door and then, or a thousand people that walk by the front door and then a hundred of them go in. But out of that hundred of them, 80 of them walk all the way up to the cash and then go, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get a coffee today. <laughs> like, yeah. The numbers are horrifying. <laughs> it's a miracle we're still in business anywhere. Well, I love I love the challenge of putting an analogy around that too. They call I call that story selling. Uh, but that's that's great. I'm gonna have to think about that and make a PowerPoint slide, get back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then to this idea that we're just repeating that machine, and it's like I hear all the time, like SDRs, 120 dials a day, like if you're in 10 years into being an SDR, what does your day look like? That's 120 dials. It doesn't get you, better. What do you look like? What do you look like 10 years into being an SDR? <laughs> uh, you probably look a little bit like 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 me with, you know, but yeah, an SDR is a tough role. I mean, people people can do that for five, 10 years. But yes, no, still it's it's it the point is 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 valid and that you're uh you're putting in all this effort, you're getting all this activity and you know, what more can, can you get out of it before you just move on to the next thing? And, uh, and so, yeah. Now, when it came to qualifying, this is a very, there's a very human aspect to qualification of leads. And this is what I want to dig in with you, right? Because I, I work in an organization and I hear SQL, MQL all the time. I wish that for one thing, can I just throw my my anger at the acronyms of the world? The fact that we're using data and then we call them SQLs. I'm like, what are you store your SQLs in a database? What kind of database you stored in? Oh yeah, <laughs> SQL. So that that acronym was a little bit overused. But so we've got SQLs, MQLs, you've got all these things. And so on the marketing side, we say like, Good lead, my MQL, right? Then it gets to the sales side of it. And then most of them will just out into the into the air they go. They never get touched. And there's somebody that says, well, it wasn't really a good MQL. I'm like, so that's the SQL process. But that seems very, that there doesn't seem very systematic that layer how do you figure out what goes from mql to sql yeah it's a very good question um I, there's so i i see things as and, and I, there's a graphic that i'm picturing where it's like marketing funnel into sales pipeline right and so like and it's you know horizontally versus uh vertically but if you Think about the the stages of a marketing funnel and they're diff, a little different. You can label them however you want. But I think anything in the marketing funnel that hasn't 
like gone, you know, where, they, where it goes like, let's say awareness uh, from interest to like consideration and, and then opportunity, you know, awareness isn't enough, right? Someone saw your ad, they saw your email, that's not enough to, to be a marketing qualified lead. Um, interest, you could. Now it depends maybe how many you have. I mean, if you can't, you can't, you don't want to be trying to go after everybody, but if they go to the point of like, where you think they're showing some interest to real consideration and consideration may mean how much uh, time on site, how many times did they visit your site? You know, how, how, how much did they go back to an email of yours more than once, right? That's you're now in the consideration stage. So that's where I would say is a true, if you're going to, if you're going to say to your sales team that these are marketing qualified leads, they better not be just like reading your email or, you know, saw an ad and clicked on some link bait. Um, they should be somewhere further down that marketing funnel. Now, a sales qualified lead, in my sense, from my perspective, has to be in the sales pipeline. And that means that they took a meeting. If they've taken a meeting, they said yes, or they said yes to a meeting and maybe didn't show, or they signed up for uh, a demo uh, or requested information or something that is now, and maybe not requested information, but something that has actually said, yes, I would like to meet with you. Um, and they've gone into a sales pipeline, like a CRM, they've been assigned to somebody, anything along those lines, that's a sales qualified lead because that's somebody that stepped on the showroom floor and said, I want to take this thing for a test drive. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the distinction that I would make. Now, when it comes to your team going in and, you know, obviously every organization has been, they've got their preferences of platform or they've got, you know, some other, they got onto AppSumo and there's a really sweet deal. And so like, there's always like a bunch of reasons why we choose any particular product. What's your approach in when you go to an organization and say, we're, we're going to help you out. Like how much is a, their products fit into your process? How much of it is you kind of have to, like I would suggest you go towards this other product because it may do you better. I'm I'm curious what that flow looks like. Yeah, it's uh so it's interesting because we have we have two parts of our solution, a prospecting system, and that's a system that requires not just technology, but it requires a a, a true plan. Then you've got to have some some data and some resources that you know aren't necessarily even technology. Like you do need access to prospect lists, for example, um, or you've got to have some something like that going on or you you need it to, to, to do your prospecting. Um, then you do need automation solutions and then you do need some some resources and things around enablement. But um, the way that we've approached it is that we believe that we've selected what, what are the best of, you know, best in class, best of breed solutions for a turnkey prospecting system. Meaning if you don't have anything or if you have something that's maybe not performing that well or whatever the case may be that, hey, don't worry about it. Let's not go in and try to like, you know, tweak a broken engine. Just like compare, you know, let's go apples to apples. You can either run what you ran or, or, or uh, uh, compare us to what your past performance. I mean, we have tools that we've selected that we think are best in class. Now, that said. I know there's a lot of great tools out there. I like to tell our clients that we are tool agnostic and I want to be I want to be agnostic because what I really care about uh, using list as a, an example is I just want quality data, quality prospect lists wherever it comes from. You know, your internal, your CRM, your Zoom info, your, you know, where uh, your your email list, uh however, as long as it's high quality. If it's a outreach tool, what I care about is deliverability. 
you know, does is the tool getting the right, you know, uh, uh, open rates, response rates, engagement rates. Um, so it's, it's really got to be performance based now as an entrepreneur and from a long term uh, perspective. I would like us to be able to have from a and, and now I was talking about the prospecting system from a SaaS perspective. I would like us to have an ecosystem that like our, our platform, you can export your data from Salesforce or from outreach and you can upload it into the lead scoring thing and we'll score it and we'll do all that stuff. Um, but we haven't built integrations with every platform yet. And, and so the, on the system side, we have to come ready with everything that's necessary that we know is no no to low risk in terms of how it's going to play out for our clients because nobody likes spinning their wheels and spending money and not getting returns so we we have a set of, a suite of things that come included with our our plan now on the lead scoring application um i would love for that to be part of and we're we're a, uh we are in a couple different um in, you know we have integration partners or in a couple different like i don't know if you call them app marketplaces for different tools but that's something i want to build out and have it so you can turn on lead scoring for, uh, you know, your Marketo account in a really right. turnkey way and then have those marketing, not just lead scoring, but then the workflow and the enablement around it and all of that. So it's kind of, you know, we have it. We, 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 we want to be tool agnostic. I'd love to. I love discovering new tools through our clients and finding out that, hey, they're using something they really like and it seems to be working like I'm, you know, got my antenna up. Um, and then from a platform perspective, it's just about roadmap and prioritization and what we can do first. And, 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 and selfishly, the things that are on the roadmap, I'm focused more on our existing customers than uh, acquisition. Like, what's the next thing that my customers are going to get the most value out of? And right. then when we, you know, if, if we want to hit the gas and do some things from a, a marketing perspective, try to build that out. But yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that this idea of like, going to a customer and then finding out what tools are out in the ecosystem. Like I've, you know, there's lots of, you know, on, on my nerd crew, we always had, it was, if this, then that, right. was the first one that was like doing all your goofy home automation. Then I started using it for some enterprise automation, which was kind of neat. And then I got turned on to Zapier and I was like, okay, this obviously solves a bit of problem. And I had a couple of different folks on the podcast and they both were like, yeah, we're like, we, we really work deeply with Integromat. I'm like, never heard of Integromat. Then I find that this is massive enterprise ecosystem wrapped around Integromat. I'm like, you don't know what you don't know that this, these are huge platforms that I had never seen. And now that I get exposed to them, like, Ooh, okay. Now where's the interplay and the interoperability opportunity, which is, which is kind of wild, but that's tough as a, as a, as an entrepreneur, especially you've got to be sort of ruthlessly pragmatic on how much you invest in partner integrations because now you're beholden to their mobily, you know, changing API and integration platforms. Like I use Go High Level for something and all of a sudden Zapier just, they, they're like, we're building our own thing. So we're not doing a Zapier thing anymore. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. I've learned that lesson the hard way. And, and you know, the, Best best advice there is if you're gonna if you're gonna build it, um, get get close with the partner in one way or another. You know, get get in. Don't just do it. Yes, you can tap into the API and start building, um, but reach out to the CEO first. Reach out to their head of product. Reach out. You know, they'll they'll tell you if you email customer service, they'll connect you with their head of uh, uh, integrations or or whoever's running their API, um, and make sure that you're aligned with their ecosystem and that you know 
there's there's no red flags and ask them straight up you know say hey look this is what we're thinking about building is this good and and because it may be that they say oh you know that's actually something kind of where where we want to build or we're looking for partners more in this area yeah. um you know so you can get your you can get the, the plug pulled pretty quick on you if you don't uh, uh build a build a close relationship and, and truly treat it like it's a partnership yeah, it's funny. The I used to whenever a product would come to me on as a tech buyer, you know, and an influencer inside my my company, I would I always ask them like sort of the same stock set of questions, and inevitably one was always like, "Do you have a a well documented, publicly accessible RESTful API?" Like I have no plans of consuming your product through a RESTful API, but what it tells me is that you are invested in external integration, which means that my other software could more easily potentially be linked in with this or put together with this. So it was to this degree of like, yeah, phoning the customer rep and saying like, I I worked with one company and they're like, yeah, we've got a, a, a C-sharp SDK. I'm like, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out. Cause I, I'll never write a C-sharp integration, you know, to map my data to your tool. So, I'm going to have to look elsewhere, which is which is kind of it was an interesting lesson in thinking about future proofing my investment. And and I think that's where the partnership ecosystem is pretty heavy in, in needing that. Yeah. Yeah. And even if even if you if you've built the relationship, even if the ecosystem changes, they'll be nicer to you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and give you some time, some heads up, some, you know, some access some you know, hey, we're rolling this out, but you got 90 days to adapt or whatever it may be. So you can, you gotta, gotta build that relationship. And, uh, I, like I said, I've learned that, that one the hard way. So yeah, when it becomes a point, like you said, where it could be that they're suddenly going like, I, we're about to introduce a similar service to what you've got. I used to always love, it's like, when you watch Amazon, you know, at the AWS reinvent, and on day one, it's always like these big keynotes and like where big handshake. It's like that when the charity hands you the giant check, you're like, we're super proud of our integration. Here's an amazing customer story. And I'm like, wait for it. Day two keynote is Amazon announcing that they just launched this exact service that does what the day one keynote does. And you're like, oh no, yeah, that was, that's tough news. That wasn't the way you wanted to find out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, when it came to, you know, product management and understanding the consultative experience, how do you how do you weigh where you have to like is this a solution needed and then productizing it? Do you what comes first in the chicken and egg of that scenario? Um, well, I think at some point you have to have those like concentric circles that are what's important in the middle what are you really building in the middle? And then what do you think goes around it? What's the, what are the features that make that kind of core feature pop? Um, you know, that aren't necessarily core, but they do further the, uh, you know, the, the user experience, the use cases and so forth. Um, and so I think that's part of it. And like, you have to have that 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 core thing uh and and do it well you know people always say be great at that one thing so i i feel like that's key for us we're really focused on productivity and and the lead scoring feature is one of those things and then it's like okay if we can be really great at lead scoring that will drive massive productivity and then what are those features that are going to actually 
take those score leads and make people more productive? Like, what are the things that they need to to take action? What are those workflows? Um, and so you need you need some of that. I think is just you know call your true north, but the the one thing you want to be good at, and then what do you build around that to support it? And then you know you become big. Maybe hey, we've got this. You know, and, and I mean, I can I can use all the other companies as examples, but you know, you can you, if you can win that one thing, you kind of get the right to start to expand your right. you know your 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 use cases and your uh, what customers you serve and and how you want to go from there. But you gotta you gotta get that foothold, and if you don't if you if you don't have that that priority, you're gonna be um, spread too thin. Both what do you? And in many ways, in all the ways. Yeah, no, is that and and monetarily, and it's the biggest punishment for that stuff, right? Is just the the capital investment to stand up a new system or service, and then find that it's not going to be generating revenue, and you're like, oh boy, that's a that's a tough one. Now, here's the interesting thing: we've talked a lot about the evolving world, right? As you go into each startup, it's like fundamentally different from when you started the previous. What about the idea of sort of APIs are forever and clean deprecation. Like, have you ever had to reach a point of the age of your platform or feature where you have to really think, is it safe with customers using it that I need to just get rid of this thing? Like, I, I'm always yes. curious, the founder, I, like where you approach that, I, that, that well, moment. You, you want to be, I think when you're building products, in general, you want to be sovereign with your product, right? Like you want it to be that that product can be used regardless of an integration or not and create real value for the client. And the integrations can add to that value. Now, it's very attractive to shortcut that and go right to an integration as a core feature because now you've got all the data and you can just plug in workflows and things can get going really quick. Like you can turn the, you can, you can turn the lights on really fast. Um, but I think that's the, the, the biggest piece is you, you, if you're sovereign, if you've got real value, then you're not taking on as much risk when you build out through integration. And so use integrations to make your, your, your product better, uh, to enhance it, to make, you know, to help serve your customers and serve them in more and better ways. But also that if, for some reason the the you know the lights go out on that integration that it's there's it's not a showstopper um and and you know to our point around everything at the end of the day everything's an excel file i mean have the that ability to get around the integration if, it, if it's you know if the data flow stops at least you can have another way that the customer can get their data into your platform or out of it or whatever it may be so there's some of that but i think that's the biggest thing is is don't don't build around and then the integration is your core thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a and that's a reason. It's a tough thing when you think of scaling the platform. Is yeah, you know, where because you then have a data investment. You've got other implications that come by bringing that bringing the data closer to sort of own and and be more sovereign with it. It's uh, it's it's not a one to one of just sort of let's just bring it over here like we're presenting a dashboard of external data versus bringing the data in uh, as a, a different responsibility especially on SaaS and like you've got a lot of things to account for on the back end for for running and operating that environment yeah for sure have you ever this is always the the tough one to ask and we give it the safest answer you can have you ever had to fire a customer 
Oh yeah, sure. But I don't, I do it in, and it, you know, I, 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 uh, absolutely. And I do it with, with so much love, um, you know, that I, I, it can be, I can give you scenarios where I've let a customer go, but I do it in a way like I try to do it the right way. But the bigger, the bigger thing that comes to mind is I don't, I try not to let them in, into the clubhouse. If I can, if I, if, if, if my, if my gut tells me that this is going to be a challenging individual, a challenging company, or that because of whatever element I'm, I'm sensing that this just isn't going to work out. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll create, I'll pull out the special pricing sheet or you know, <laughs> have some other things up front. And, and, and I've said it, you know, I've said to somebody, I said, you know, this guy was just challenging me and challenging me. And, and I said, you know what, I'm going to respectfully pass on this opportunity. And he was like, you're giving up that easy. And something I said, well, and, and to be honest, I, yes, I am giving up that easy. I just, I, I'm, this conversation has not been pleasant for me. And I don't think that I would want to pass this on to members of my team, but I appreciate you know, the people hate that. And I, you know, I, I don't like doing it either. I don't want to be on, on those conversations, but firing a customer. Yeah, I've done. And, you know, I think it's just, um, it, it, it's, uh, I guess I shouldn't say that it's, it, it's easy, but you can wrap it in service and just tell them like, Hey, this isn't working out and we're, we've tried everything. And I think it'd be best if we just, you know, call it, call it, uh, here, but there's ways to do it with service, um, service first. And then I've had some of those customers try to come back uh as well and um you know it's a five thousand dollar setup fee and an annual commitment if you want to come back <laughs> yeah yeah there's a there's a toll at the exit and then a toll at the re-entry <laughs> you want it that bad but it's somebody's gotta and, and you know what i've lost i, I lost uh in my early days i want to say three three uh, employees definitely two to one customer um, wow. And the customer was so important to us that we were, we were, we were like you're literally year two or year three. And there were only like three or $4,000 a month, but it was a big customer for us and uh, meaningful revenues at that time. And uh, I would just assign, you know, hire somebody just on that one account, like, you know, 10, 10 hours a week, whatever it was working on their service, working with the, the, the admin. And um, it was just, a, it was an absolute shit show. So, uh, but yeah, it took it took losing the second uh, team member before I realized probably not worth it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's it's it's tough because it's you know I, I forget who who did the TED talk and she has a great book called on on being wrong and this idea of sort of that wily e. coyote that we make the decision that we've made a mistake after we're well off the cliff and it, it's really tough to do that and especially when it's we're talking about employee. You know, you're affecting the the core of your company by yeah. retaining a customer, and it's a it's a tough thing as a founder and 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 CEO to have to weigh. It. But I mean, some it's I, huge respect because I have not had to face that myself, and and I hear the stories all the time, and and they go either way. But you know, it's you still bear the burden of that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I hear you. I, um, it, it hasn't happened that often, but, um, the cost is, far outweighs the reward and it, it, the morale of one teammate and then for them to have to carry that and, and dread their job. Like, I don't want anybody at, I, I tell my team, I want them at like 60 to 70% capacity. And like, if they don't feel good, like, don't, don't force it. Like, let's, this isn't about, you know, 
it's 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 not about the grind it's just we're going the right direction we do our best like um and uh yeah it can be uh you don't want you don't want anybody dreading to to go to work or dreading to talk to a customer um what and and i i think this is interesting too we talk about the ethos and you know the the company is a representative of its founders, right? Like it's it's a it's a mirror of them for a while. You know, we talk about the first the first ten hires are most important because they will hire the next hundred, yeah. and so you've you've got a very mindful approach to the way you want to deal with customers, which I would imagine then translates to who you hire. And you just said like 70 percent. The most common sort of founder thing is you're like. You know, 2015 Gary V. You're grinding or you're dying. <laughs> Sleep is for the weak. <laughs> I've been in too many startup environments seeing that. You're like, oh, this is not not good. You know, I like that you've come with it. Like, hey, you don't need. You obviously don't need to be at zero, but you don't need to be at 120. Yeah. Well, culture is interesting for us because we've had. We started remote, or I should say we started in an office for a year or two, and then we went remote, and we've been in business a little over seven years now. So the last five have been all remote, and we went from, you know, two people to 15, 16 now, and uh, now I'm finding all the things that I'm missing in our culture that aren't there, where I want to be around my team. I want to get to know them. I want to hear what they're thinking or what we're, you know, what's going on between the zoom calls, right? Like, yeah. you know, I had a friend, this is just a silly thing, but it's just a very clear example. A friend and I are texting the other day and he's like, Oh, my fire remote for my TV, uh, like stopped working. So we got to take a trip to Walmart to go buy a new one. And I was like, dude, there's an app for that. You can download the like fire app on your phone and just do that. He's like, Oh my gosh, perfect. I never would have thought of that. How many of those situations are happening in my organization right now scare the shit out of me where somebody's yeah. doing something and there's like someone else who there's an app for that or they're, they found another solution or even just the, the fact that like you get to you get to know somebody on a personal level and then the conversation and the, the working experience is so much more pleasurable. And I, 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 I hate that we don't have this. I'm actually I'm opening a lounge, not an office in uh, two months there renovating the space for us in downtown Philly. And it's oh, to attract my team to come a couple days a week, once a quarter, however often they want to attract new employees, but like a place to actually hang out, work, feel like I want to go there because it's awesome. Not because it's cubicles and, and desks, but just, uh, and, and by the way, if you want to get into a office space, commercial real estate now is a fantastic time. Uh, lots of deals. It's not oh a good time to be an REIT uh, investor, but good golly, if you're if you're looking to get space, it's opportune. Yeah, so that's what that's where my head was at, and I found a place that was a yoga studio for 20 years, and uh, yeah, the the they were it's been empty for a year and a half now, and they offered to renovate the whole thing for us and make it nice. But that's I'm doing it just because I just want even if it's for an hour, you know, a day, a quarter with with half of my team i just want to hang out and get to know them and have those conversations go for a walk and and uh so i'm i'm missing that i think that's an important part of culture that you don't get when you're remote um any team with any team yeah it's funny when i when i first became a remote staffer for like i worked for a company got hired in vancouver bc 
and I was living there. And so it was like totally normal, right? And then I had to move back to Toronto, Ontario. So I'm moving across the country, different time zone. And it's like, but I'd been there for three years and this is pre remote work. This is, it was before it was a thing really, it was really tough to get it. And then when I said, I got to move. So I guess I'm, we got to figure out what to do to backfill my position. And my manager was really great. He says, well, let's just order business cards with your new address on it. That's it. You know, you'll work remotely. The data center was in Vancouver, everything with the teams in Vancouver, different time zone. He was like, but you're core to the ecosystem. So there was this like sunk cost and sunk culture of me fitting in. But at that, if I had gone to them that day and said, I want to do this job and I'm based in Toronto, I wouldn't have got the second interview. Well, now obviously none of us have a choice. Like we are predominantly remote, but it's like that. Just like seeing the look on somebody's face when they're working on a problem and knowing you're like, I've walked by Joanne's desk three times in the hour and she looks like she's really struggling. You just like can pop over and say, Hey, what's up? You know, you cool. You want to grab a coffee? You know, Pete's looking like he's falling asleep at his desk. Like little things that you can. High fives. You know, yeah. Give me a high five once in a while. Like I just, yeah. want, I just want some, some of that. Yeah. Just some kind of like that real water cooler as they'd call it interaction. And yeah, I miss it. I miss it. That's, you know, that's how I made, you know, there are some of my best friends came through work and, uh, that's, you know, that, that's an important source of uh, you know, so socializing and meeting people and creating connections. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited to get back to that for sure. Yeah. And the, like the 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 pre-planned like happy hour, five o'clock on Friday, like, no, no, I, I don't want to open a beer over Zoom with, you know, oh, while God. sitting in my bedroom because that's my yeah. home office like yeah. that's just weird to me <laughs> yeah yeah no, I, I i start I, as the day goes on and on i start turning camera off headphones on like i can't be on the screen anymore and definitely not just socialize i'm like yeah he took my zoom battery for the day i'm i'm on i'm, I'm done yeah well it's and it's funny i'd 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 actually enjoy seeing more studies on this stuff like because it is cognitively tiring to be staring at zoom like if you're in a meeting room and there's 12 people you're consciously aware of how you're sitting but you can sort of swing around it's not a big deal and you relax and like sometimes like i goof around i touch i play with cards you can check your phone here and there but when you're on camera you you see how you look and it's hard to escape that so you find yourself looking at yourself and you're like oh i need a haircut and like Stuff you would never think about because you're staring at your own bloody face as part of the experience. It's yeah, it's way it's it's um way too immersive in the sense that like even if I'm watching TV, I can go do something else, right? right. Like I can go like have a snack, look the other direction, be disengaged. I'm stuck, you know. I, here we're, <laughs> we're 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 stuck, and then you do this six hours a day, five hours a day. I mean. Whew. Yeah, yeah, like you feel guilty if I if like I shut my camera off to reach around to like grab something off my shelf because if if I if somebody sees me looking away from the camera, it's as if I'm not paying attention. Like turning the camera off isn't not paying attention, but it's like it's just yeah, it's a weird it's a weird experience for sure. Now, one thing I'd love to to dig in on is 
the give back to the ecosystem because I know that you're also an advisor. You're working with with other folks in sort of the startup community, and what what drew what draws you towards doing that? And I'm curious if that helped you in the early days when you started up People Inks and when you started up Nerdwise. If that was part of your what got you going? Yeah, it's you know it's fun. It's fun when you've learned how to do a thing and you can share it with others, or it's fun when you can save someone, the, you can show them the shortcut and, and save them the headache. Um, so I enjoy it. I wish, you know, I, 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 sometimes I do wish I could get paid to do it uh, <laughs> because, and you know, you do here and there, but it's not, I, I don't have my, my, if I'm, if I'm selling my time, it's a, it's a misuse of my time when I've got a responsibility to my company and my team and everything. So I just don't do a lot of paid engagements outside of work, but I love it. I mean, I, I would love to be able to work with entrepreneurs and startups all day. It's fun. Um, and, and yeah, it was big for me. One of the things that actually I, I thought about recently was how much of a, and I'm going to use a, just an expletive version just to paint a picture, but I'm going to say I was like a little shit in the sense that when I was starting up at PeopleLinks, I thought I was hot shit. You know, I was like, man, we got this great company. We're all this, we're cooking. We're, and I just had, you know, and I, my ego was like, I could barely walk through a door. I felt like, you know, but I was, I was so happy and so proud and everything was going great. And there were so many talented entrepreneurs and, and investors and people that were around the company and that, you know, came to work with us. And, and the, the most humbling thought the other day is like, they all knew I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> like, they, knew. <laughs> they knew. And they were so nice. They were so nice. You know, people, any one of them, you know, they and they probably saw like, oh, yeah, you know, parts in the right place and potential and that I was trying to good work and everything was everything was fine. But I realize now in the last seven years being going from that shotgun seat to the driver's seat, all the things I really didn't know and how much I other people were carrying me. And, and that, you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't successful at that point, right? I had, I was very fortunate and we had a great run and everything was fun. But um, I, so I'm humbled in that sense that I, I go back and I still want to almost like pull a bunch of those people aside and go, hey, I just want to thank you for when I was like 25 to 30 <laughs> that you were yeah. so cool, knowing that I really didn't have, ha have my shit together in the sense that I, I, I hadn't earned the, the real merit badges. I hadn't really, uh, I hadn't earned it, you know. I got lucky, and I was in the right. Took all the right chances, did the right things. Everything's great. I don't know. I don't feel bad about any of it. But so I think it's important that, like, you know, that just like important to give back or help other people. But it's fun. I think they had fun helping me. It's fun to see people in their earlier stages. But I mean, if I had said to you seven or ten years ago that I was advising other entrepreneurs, like, I feel bad about the advice I might've been giving them because I was so lucky. I was like, everything's great. But now I, I'm well more, much more equipped. I mean, I've actually had to learn all the unsexy, hard things about building a company on my own. And, right. and through, through that, you, uh, you, 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 you do learn a tremendous amount and you can help others much easier. And I, I think it's one of the most important things to do in any practice, business, sports, dancing, making music, whatever it is that you want to do, go talk to the, go talk to somebody who's done it before. They can show you the way they can tell you how, how they did it. They can tell you what's important to know. And that's going to save you a whole lot of time, heartache, headache. Um, and so, you know, if I can help somebody, I'm always happy to do it. Yeah, and it's the communities of practice is something that like as an entrepreneur, there's not that many 
like there's there's EO, so the Entrepreneurial Organization, which actually has come up a ton. I've had a ton of folks on the podcast and they're members of EO, but it's like you have to, I think the floor is like 1 million in revenue. And there was other like employee counts, floor and ceilings they've got. So they, they're very targeted of like, this is the phase of the company where we can all be very helpful to each other. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they're second time founders and they they stay in because they're back at that phase again. And that, so it's they love that range of of growth and, and sharing. But like you said, it's you know, it's it's like asking a guy that's in a on a train with no driver, like, hey, how do you drive a train? Like, it's easy. Just keep going. It's, it yeah. works. You know, you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. You haven't yeah. hit a bump yet. <laughs> and, and and for me, it's really, it's like, it's almost like if, if you invited me to come and, and work on a, a Lego construction that you're building or an erector set or some cool project that you're like, hey, want to give me a hand with this thing? I'm like, awesome. Like, that sounds fun. Like, I want to build stuff. I want to fix things. I want to ideate and, and be creative and, uh, you know, roll up my sleeves. I love that stuff. So, it's fun to work with people, especially when you can have it. Sometimes you need an outside view, right? Because you see everything with kind of near term uh, or with what's in front of you. And somebody can come in from the outside and they can go, hey, you know, you should consider pitching this way or you should consider positioning yourself this way. Or you mean to tell me that you can and they can they like identify things. And you're like, oh. yeah, that that outside in, you know, and it's because. I remember even even in corporate, like that was the advantage to going to outside contractors, not because they're smarter or because they're better, is they come in with no an empty whiteboard, you know, or I'm old enough I could say it was an empty blackboard back then. Right. So they had are a clean slate. They come in, they've got no predispositions, no prejudices about the decision they're about to advise you on. They listen to the evidence and they're like Supreme Court judges for a business decision. They're just like, based on the evidence presented to me, I would do this. And quite often you're like aghast. You're like, what? Oh, I can't believe they would say that. And then when you stop and you sort of take that in for a while, like, ah, the kid from the outside's right. <laughs> this is, we've been looking at this way too hard. We should just rip this piece out and, and, and refactor. You're like, oh, right. And that is a good advantage to that outside view. If you were to give the, you know, advice to somebody saying, I think I got a problem that I can solve and I'm thinking about putting a business together around it. What's the, what's the first thing you do when you take them aside to tell them what they're about to face? Um, You know, you could go, you could attack it from so many angles, but the, the best thing I would maybe think to say is just get started. And and when you get started, pick a, a vessel brand, which is a term I learned, you know, where it could be anything. So don't, you know, if you're going to build a, you know, a new headlight, don't call it like you think you're going to build the greatest headlight for cars. Like maybe don't call it headlight because maybe eventually it's taillights, right? Maybe it's interior lights. Maybe you find out that it's like some water resistant technology that applies to planes and they, the lights are called something completely different. So, you know, don't get too stuck on your product. And I think sometimes people tend to start with the name of their product or something very germane to it. And, and so I'd say start with a Vestal brand where you've got flexibility to move about and and then, you know, plan for that those learnings. Like, hey, this is my number one hypothesis of what I'm going to do. And then if that, you know, doesn't work, maybe then it'll mean I can do this or, or start to have some of that 
uh, mapped out. But, you know, I would say just start and start learning. And, and again, the barriers to getting started are lesser than ever before. So you can get a get a cute vessel brand of some kind, you know, go to brandbucket.com and play around and see some fun names and get some ideas and go buy some other generic, more generic version of it, you know, get get it going and just start learning. Because um, ultimately time time is like, it's your friend and your enemy when you're in a startup, but it's it's your friend in the sense that if you start today, it's like the old Chinese proverb, when's the best time to plant a tree? It was 20 years ago. If you want to have your own company, start it now and two or three years from now, you'll know what it's like to try and what you learned and you'll be much better equipped than you were if you just stay on that, you know, blackboard, whiteboard phase and, and keep working on it. Yeah, I think you think of the tools available today to start a company, it's like so the barrier to entry is so low now, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I would have gone. I might have gone on uh, micro acquire seven years ago and just bought something for a hundred grand versus. Uh, <laughs> versus <laughs> but hey. Yeah, the the build versus buy or build then or buy then build. Like, there's a lot of ways. And I, I, I was it the the hundred dollar startup. I think someone needs to do a thousand, a five thousand, and a twenty thousand dollar version of that because there's lots of things you can do and like you could buy. Uh, a mommy blog and, and it sounds like a pejorative when I say it that way, but like a, a, a blog with an audience aimed at, you know, yeah. folks that are health conscious, you know, and their, their businesses, you know, a, a YouTuber is a business. It's I'm, I'm really excited by what's available to people today. It's, I think that, you know, the job numbers, when we hear them from the government, I just, I'm it's gone to me because I don't think that means as much as it used to because I talk more and more to founders and they're not showing up in the numbers somewhere. And, uh, and that's it is good that it's happening, but it's also, I, I I'm worried about the lack of measurement of it to open people's eyes to what's potential. Yeah, no, you're right. There's uh there's definitely, I don't think that the employment numbers include all the TikTok uh, <laughs> influencers, <laughs> Instagram influencers. And yeah, there's a lot of people that that's their, that's their side hustle. And now it's, that's their main source of income. I mean, I, I have two friends who make their living through Instagram. One does custom, uh, uh, swimwear for women and she posts, it gets bought immediately in ships. Uh, another one does uh, glass, you know, you want any type of, uh, uh, glass pieces, custom art, He'll make something, post it, sell it. You know, it's just uh, another guy. Just actually, three. Another one does is a, is it makes jewelry. Same thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Crazy. And it's just Instagram. They never got a website. They're not e-commerce companies. They're not. You know, it's nothing sophisticated. It's just you make something great. Someone wears it, posts it, tags it, shares it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, and I tell you, in this has been fantastic and thanks for spending the time today patrick for folks that do want to get in and i tell you they should uh so nerdwise.com of course is the the main spot to go your testimonials tell the strong story this is something that's really really good and i love that that feedback loop that you're able to bring and you know like i see it all the time the gap between 
sale, you know, between you know, leads coming in and lead generation and successful sales organizations executing on it. It's a chasm that people don't realize can be crossed. And uh, so I hope to generate some business for you myself with a few of the folks that I advise. And, and I highly recommend people to go check it out. And your your videos are great as well. It's it's really good. I saw a couple of your, your previous interviews as well. And I like that you're very open book on your previous experiences. You're at the you've made it through the phase. You didn't cut your hair this time around. So this is always funny. I I, I talk about the founder, uh, the the hair uh, story. It's generally the first time found, you know, the the employee clean cut, you know, gets the hoodie, then they leave there, then they found their own company. So they got a new hoodie, slightly longer hair, maybe a little bit more dark around the eyes because it's hard to live your life every day working hard. Then they successfully exit, hair grows, they are now a uh, angel investor. <laughs> then the next founding, they tend to cut the hair again. So I like that you've held on and and, and stayed long hair all the way through. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. I, I, can, I can still remember my first, we used to work in legal and financial services. The first time I had the uh, guts to, to wear jeans and like boat shoes and, you know, tuck in a button down and I mean, that was edgy and it was like, <laughs> you know, you're, you could just tell people like, who's this, you know, and it was like, uh, but that's the world's changed so much. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the, the opportunity, Eric. It's been nice chatting with you. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Excellent. And also if people want to connect in other ways, what's the best way if they wanted to reach out and, and get in contact with you, Patrick? LinkedIn is good. Add me on LinkedIn, comment that it came through here. Otherwise I probably will ignore it because uh, there's so, you know, you get all the, stuff but if you say hey i enjoyed the the show or you, know, you just want to shoot me an email please have at it awesome yeah i want to actually create i want to go and get an explainer video done to send to people telling them why they shouldn't ask me about selling explainer videos to me because it's driving me nuts i get about four of them a week it's uh god bless them i guess that's a big ecosystem nowadays but uh the, yeah the the amount of overuse of LinkedIn as a, as a new outreach mechanism. I mean, it's, it's natural, but uh, yeah, it's hard to get the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. So, but all right, great. Patrick, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Eric.